You're listening to Planet Now. My name is Nigisa. I'm excited to say that this week we have our very first interview coming up in a few minutes. And as always, make sure you stay tuned until the end to discover what Planet Wonder Abby is going to tell us about this week. Do you sometimes feel helpless when you think about climate change? Or do you wish that you could do more, but you don't really know how to start? Well, if that's your case, the good news is that there are plenty of things we can do. Of course, governments and companies have to make the biggest efforts. But unfortunately, they're clearly not on the way to net zero goals at the speed required. And the most recent studies confirm it. While 2023 became the hottest year ever recorded, global carbon emissions continue to rise. So advocating for climate policy, pressuring governments and companies to change their strategies is more than urgent. Making a transition in our lifestyle and making better choices as consumers are a great way to reduce our impact and to inspire the people around us. Voting for leaders who take environmental questions seriously is another thing that we can all do. But being more politically engaged and using our voice any way we can is another essential step to defend the planet and fight for a better future. Through collective efforts, individuals can be key actors in the fight against climate change. And scientists confirm it. During the COP28, almost 1,500 scientists declared that they need the public to become activists. In an open letter, authors from the IPCC reports and many other renowned scientists called on the public to take collective action to prevent a climate breakdown. The letter implores, I quote, wherever you are, become a climate advocate or activist. To this they added that climate action needs to go from being something that others do to something that we all do. But how to start? How can we effectively become climate advocates? The first step is to stay informed, for example by reading the news or some books related to this issue, by listening to some podcasts, obviously, by watching documentaries, etc. The more we know about it, the more concerned we will feel. And then we can share this knowledge. Even just engaging the people around us in conversations about climate change is a great start. Another key is to surround ourselves with other people who care. There's nothing worse than to hear about the acceleration of climate change and have no one around to help us face all this anxiety. Coming to the conclusion that we are doomed or that it's too late is just making us feel desperate and paralyzed by fear. So we become unable to act in any kind of way. And as the IPCC frequently reminds us, every fraction of a degree counts. So there's still a lot we can do. But how do we find these people? Well, that's the second step. Networking. Networking within environmental organizations and joining climate groups can be a great way to find other people who share our concern and interest. In the open letter we mentioned earlier, scientists declared join or start groups pushing for policies that help secure a better future. Contact groups that are active where you are, find out when they meet, and attend their meetings. And so, with our first Planet Now guest, we're going to talk about great initiatives that aim to bring together people who want to act for the planet, and much more. A quick note, during the interview, we're going to mention a couple of places, books, and other references. You can find all the info on our Patreon page. We've put a link in the episode's description. 
Hey, uh, I'm Louis. I uh, worked for five years in the Canadian climate movement as uh, an organizer. And that means that, you know, in really simple terms, my job was to bring people together and try and get them to act together to change the politics of, you know, their city, their country, their province, sometimes companies, uh, whatever the issue was. Can you give me some examples of missions that you had? So there was a case where there was a massive dump in a community that was illegal. And so I would work with members of the community to try and force the government or compel the government to clean it up, for instance. Or there were these very big banks that continued to pour huge amounts of money into very nasty projects that hurt all types of people. And so there my, my job was to bring, you know, help a lot of different organizations figure out how they could work together on that issue. And now you are in Paris. So you are you still working um, for these kind of missions in Canada? I still help on this project to force the Toronto International Film Festival to drop a shitty sponsor that they have. But by and large, I've moved my, my work uh, this side of the ocean. So now I'm uh, starting a new project in the UK. Okay, great. And just for our listeners, sometimes you might hear some doors, you might hear some bangs. Uh, we apologize for this, but we are indeed in a sort of building. I don't know how to say it. I mean, Louis, you can actually explain to us exactly where we are now. Yeah, I mean, the listeners can probably hear the building, which is interesting. So we can describe what we see. Uh, so we're, we're in this very beautiful courtyard, a very kind of historic center of Paris building with loads of engravings on the stones, you know, about, I see one about Napoleon III and Baron Haussmann, and I see lots about the wars and a kind of very militaristic altar, but at the same time, it's been covered up in these, like, lights and very activist-y, very kind of beachy types of tables and stuff, so we were commenting on it being, in a way, quite a contradictory space. But yeah, it's called l'Académie du Climat, and it's been made available for climate-related activities by the Paris municipality. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I couldn't have described the place better than you did. It's a beautiful building and it's quite impressive. And you have different events that are organized here. Everything is free, accessible to anyone. They organize uh, conferences, ateliers, debates, meetings, concerts, exhibitions, all kind of things. And you can find a whole program on the, their agenda on the website if you are in Paris. And so why did you choose to meet me here at the Académie du Climat? Well, we needed a place to meet, but at the same time, we're also next week hosting an event here uh, with this amazing organization called Small 99 that has basically created a system for people to meet each other around drinks and then later on around food as well, so that within a given area, people who share concerns or interests in various environmental or ecological topics can meet. And I decided to dip my toes and launch the first such event called People Planet Pint in Paris. And I'll be there trying to welcome people and butterfly around being a good host. As will you. I will be there as well. Um, I can't wait because I've never been to one of these events. So this company is organizing these kind of events, but at the same time, it's also um, helping small companies to reduce their impact on the planet. So it's, um, you know, both for citizens who are interested in these topics, but also for um, people who have a company and don't know how to reduce their impact. And it actually started in the UK. You can also consult their website if you're interested. They do meetups in different cities in the UK almost on a daily basis. And what happens for, you know, if someone um, is interested in these kind of meetups but doesn't live in the UK or in France, can they become a host like you? I'm not aware that there's any geographical limitations. One thing I will say, though, is that in Paris, what I found was that they were, they seem to be extremely good at signing people up for you. Because, of course, that's the most daunting part of setting up an event. It's actually going out there and being like, hey, come to my event. Mm -hmm. 
And so in Paris, I didn't have to do anything. It's a matter of clicks. You, you, you have to book a venue yourself. But again, I think that the hardest part in organizing such an event is just the level of social risk you take by going out there and promoting it yourself, right? Like that's what people really struggle with. So since they seem to do that for you, I think it's safe to say it's extremely easy to, yeah. to get one off the ground. And is it still possible to join the meetup in Paris if um, some people are interested? No, we're, we're full. I'm sorry. No. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Okay, I can't wait to go there. Um, thank you so much for all this information. And before finishing this interview, I would like to ask you a couple of quick questions. What got you interested in environmental issues in the first place? Was there maybe a turning point for you? I think that if I look at my own journey, uh, The Inconvenient Truth by Al Gore might have been a, a moment of particular kind of awakening of a certain amount of knowledge that might have been one but you know I grew up in a family that took this seriously etc and so from the inconvenient truth to the Paris Accords to the Trump presidency would have been the kinds of steps that eventually made me want to invest you know significant amounts of time uh, in this issue you know the journey also didn't stop there so from there I also got invested in more issues as a result. You've been a climate advocate for a good while now and I was wondering what kind of advice you would give to anyone who wants to be more engaged in this issue. Climate is so big, right? It's just that getting engaged can mean a lot of very different things. And so I think that, you know, maybe a good first step, once you're, you're already concerned, is to actually try and learn, all right, well, what exactly is it that you want? What, what does resolving this issue actually look like to you? Because I think this is one of the pitfalls of this, that lots and lots of people who are concerned about the climate crisis actually have very, very different interests and ideas about what a resolution of it might look like. And so even there, just getting a bit clearer about what this issue is and what your interests, what you're worried about, what some resolutions might look like, might be interesting. Because I think that for a lot of people, climate is a a kind of door or a, a gateway into realizing that a lot more is going wrong with the world. That might be a good first step, um, but there's just this huge number of ways that people try to meet this reality nowadays, ranging from community gardens to installing solar cells to changing their consumption patterns to changing their voting patterns to taking collective political action. So I don't have a kind of given piece of advice that's going to fit every single person in this. The only thing that I would say is to, I think, to cultivate a certain awareness of how much bigger the issue is than our own limited perspective on it and to try and really understand it better and come at it from that spirit of humility because that can avoid a lot of problems down the line. Is there an event in particular related to environmental issues that impacted you or shocked you more than others? We were driving through wildfire smoke last summer and I'm not going to single out this event as somehow more relevant, but that sucked you know and i think knowing that basically the entire size of france and more's worth of boreal forest canadian boreal burnt to the ground last year that that was a hard hit because i i do like that forest the, all the events are equally awful it's just that sometimes they hit something that we actually know uh and like and they destroy it and then we miss it or we catch ourselves missing it and that's just happening more and more all the time right so you just mentioned canada indeed and um what would be the number one thing that you would expect from the Canadian government, from your government? Eight to nine percent of Canada's GDP is directly fossil fuel based. And I think that that GDP supports huge other parts of that GDP, right? So it's, it's foundational. And so that's a massive, massive political problem, right? Which is that these are, there's no 
politically palatable option because people never vote to end their prosperity, especially not in a place like Canada. But yet the oil age is ending and it's going to end one of two ways, in total destruction of economies in a way that massively reduces demand or in a more managed transition or anywhere in the middle of these two. And I think an ideal and pragmatic Canadian government would manage to try to lead the population into being ahead of that change and not behind it. So right now, if the policy is to extend oil and gas use as long as possible, the ideal policy would aim at how can we decrease its production in Canada in a way that minimizes the disruptions and minimizes the economic injustices and social injustices that are going to come with that. Have you, on a personal level, made some changes in your own life to live more sustainably, more according to your principles, I guess? I think most of my energies have gone towards, you know, political action and the likes. But for a while, I did manage to cut meat substantially. Now I'm not that good on that. I've managed to cut flying as much as I could. But again, my girlfriend lives in Canada and I have a lot of my life in Canada. So I can't say that, you know, I've made any big changes insofar as I was already an urban person. So I use my bike, but not out of a politically informed consumption choice, right? If you had one book, documentary or movie to suggest to our audience related to this topic, of course, what would it be? So there's no one book. There's categories of books that definitely have been, you know, there's books that to try to make sense of what's going on. So in terms of the science, I think Uninhabitable Earth is a very good, very good place to start. There's books about what are the political means to get out of it. Midwest Academy, Organizing for Social Change, very good. Then there's lots of others. There's an entire industry of these books and they're to be handled with care. Uh, I haven't read it, but Ministry for the Future is supposed to be interesting in terms of uh, alternatives, uh, envisioning real utopias, Eric Olin Wright, very interesting, and in also understanding alternatives and the link to capitalism. And last question, are you feeling hopeful for the future? Fuck it, call me hopeful. I love it, okay. Thank you so much for taking the time, Louis. It was great to meet you. So, the Small 99 event is coming up in Paris on February the 8th. It's free and accessible for anyone who would like to attend. And as was said in the interview, anyone can host a Small 99 meetup. They are very easy to organise. Every episode, we finish with a pretty amazing fact about our planet. A planet wonder. We're jumping over to the jungle rainforests of Brazil to talk about, well, jumping. Fish that can jump, to be more specific. Obviously, we always have this image of fish swimming through water, but there are some species of fish that have the incredible strength to propel themselves up and out of the water. And one of these species is called the Pirapatunga. It's not such an easy name to say. Pirapatungas live in rivers in the Brazilian jungle. They are strong enough to jump out of the water, but that's not all. They aim their jumps so that once they are in the air, they can grab a mouthful of seeds or fruits hanging on a nearby low branch. Of course, they eat plenty of things in the water too, like crustaceans, but this strategy is a clever way of diversifying their food sources. It takes an impressive amount of power, agility and precision to make it happen. Next time, we'll be doing the follow-up for our last episode where we talked about the low-tech movement and we're going to introduce some amazing low-tech examples from devices to reduce our home energy consumption to growing plants in the desert and an ancient Japanese repairing technique. 
We hope you've enjoyed spending this little time with us. If you would like to support our work, please consider becoming one of our Patreons. For as little as the price of a coffee, you can make it possible for us to keep sharing positive and important stories about our planet. We run this podcast in our free time, so your support really means a lot to us. Another great way to help is to follow our podcast, share it with your close ones, or also comment on your podcast platform. These all seem like small things, but it helps us to gain visibility, which means more people can hear these inspiring stories. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon.